Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode four, where we revisit and rank Thunderball. After our most interesting hat scene yet, it's finally time for Bond to go to the Bahamas and go underwater himself. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Thunderball to our rankings. So after that, after the hat revelations, we then pretty much instantly cut to Bond has found uh, Domino, I believe is is the name of the woman, the, the sister of the pilot. And she is swimming underwater, riding turtles. Okay. I like that. I want to go ride with turtles. I mean, it looks really fun. Yeah. But you go from like M, Money Penny calling M an old man, to a woman riding a turtle, which, you know, I guess they were going for a intentional whiplash there. Um, but Bond Maybe. is watching... Sorry, I just need to get this insight. Maybe the turtle is meant to represent M because it's oh, old. It's the old man turtle, and Money Penny's the woman, right? Terence Young is a genius. He's he he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. There was a reason for that cut. If there's no hat explanation, I need to see if Terence Young is still alive, so I can. He's dead. Oh, what? He's just he's long dead. Oh. <laughs> I'm Damn sorry. Nine ninety four. Ah, was way off. No resolution. He was born in China. That's interesting. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so basically, the woman then gets stuck, or Domino then gets stuck, and Bond rescues her because he was just kind of watching her as he likes to do with women, and then they swim back up, and yeah, this is when they kind of first meet, and she's quite a major character. Like she is the Bond girl for this film. Domino, mm. basically yeah. and something i really like about this is that i complained about how bond and the masseuse there's no chemistry but these two actually do have chemistry like she is being more playful and flirty and kind of responding a little bit more to bond not not going all in but bond's kind of doing his thing and she's doing her thing and actually i do quite like these two and it kind of starts straight away with this scene where I can't remember any lines, I'll be honest with you, but there's a bit of chemistry there. I'm like, okay, yes, good start. I'm I'm, I'm happy to see this. I'm going to be honest, I totally forgot about this character as a Bond girl before watching this film. Yep. Forgot her name was Domino, kind of forgot everything about her. But I, yeah, you're right. I After coming away, actually quite a good, no, not, not even quite a good character. As you say, good chemistry. She actually does stuff in the plot, progresses the plot, not just a token Bond girl on the side. It's it's refreshing. It's a refreshing change. Um, I, this meeting after the the turtle scene, the only thing I wrote down about this that I thought was kind of strange, I don't know whether they were doing this on purpose to try and do a bit of subversion about the whole Bond name introduction. I guess we're still very, very early in on the the franchise, but it's still you know bond james bond but this one it's it's done so flippantly flipper that's quite i should have done something with that but um, nice. <laughs> but yeah did you know did you notice how it was really it was just over in about a second i noticed that in all these films actually they just don't care about this line in the intro like it's a variant like at some point it's just like i'm james whatever i'm james bond and sometimes he just says bond sometimes he says bond james bond like it I I guess it wasn't that big of a deal or they didn't think it was that big of a deal because they, they, they're not consistent at all. And I don't know at what point they do get consistent and really hammer in that line a little bit more. 
Mm, I mean, Doctor No has quite a a bold one, but I think that's literally because it is the first time we see the character. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Because later on, you get... It's, it's a joke in itself about Bond saying his name in a really awkward situation or really rushed or something like that. And that's sort of the gag, is that he doesn't get to say it in in the the bond manner and it's like yeah but this one it's just the they just come out of the water and he just says oh but bond james bond and it's just gone like <laughs> anyway um besides the point yeah so he he saves her domino and, and they get up together and they talk a little bit because this is where we also see that bond has uh sort of an assistant for this mission i can't remember her name now I didn't write it down, but I've looked it up. It's Paula. Paula. Paula, yeah, everybody. Ne- never really introduced... Uh, well, I guess she's introduced in this scene, but but yeah, he just has a, another agent working with him who kind of pretends that their boat's broken down, so he needs to get a, a trip back with Domino to the, to the coastline, um, which is basically just an excuse for him to question her and get to know a little bit more about who she's with and kind of learning eventually about Largo. They get onto the beach. And then, do they go straight for like a meal or something like that? Yeah, they go for a lunch by the pool. So as they're walking along the beach, we also see a mysterious grey figure in Mm. sunglasses, whoever that may be. Uh, So they're being watched. Uh, But yeah, then they go to the pool and and have some some lunch. Yes, and this is where you hear the uh, Mr. Kiskis bang bang instrumental in the background i think it's where you start hearing it and uh it's great it's great but yeah i honestly can't even tell you what they discussed in this meeting it's kind of whatever it was it was good because they do play off each other very well and as is the case of a lot of um of the female characters that bond comes up against they they have that uh sort of antagonistic start to them where they, well, I guess it can go either way, but usually they will have a very much a, I'm not falling for your your questions and your charms sort of thing, and then he eventually wins them over. And that's sort of what you get here, where she's just not having any of it, really. She just wants to get on, but in a sort of floaty, uh, flirty, charming way as well. Yeah, I guess so. I I feel like it's it's done a little bit better, though, where yeah, she's not super into it, but again, she still just kind of seems to enjoy kind of bond really which is more than you can say about other women in this film or in Hmm. this franchise up to this point and yeah there's not much to this scene it's just them kind of talking but it's appreciated because again it's a little bit flirty and them kind of talking to each other sets up them as as her as the bond girl but we do find out in this scene that she has a guardian so somebody is is watching her i can't remember if it said largo in this scene if we find out she's tied to largo but we do find that out uh, very soon there is a bit of an odd line in this one where i think she says what sharp eyes you've got and then he says wait until we get to my teeth and I yes guess, i guess it's uh, maybe the grapes maybe he's talking about the grapes again i don't know <laughs> but it's a uh, it's not his smoothest line for sure or is a vampire one <laughs> of the two there we go now we're talking <laughs> so many ideas forming 
So this then cuts very shortly to a party that is happening on the docks. A lot of people coming by boat because we're in the Bahamas. I'm not sure if we've said that. So, and a lot of this film takes place in the the Bahamas and all these different islands uh, around it. So this is now just at night, a load of people having a big party, and it's all very fancy, and everyone's all very dressed up. And we see Sean Connery or James Bond back in his classic back tux, going into a casino. Uh, which is a really cool thing to see, like directly taken from Dr. No, really. And he goes up to a table and he sees Mr. Largo already sitting there where Bond goes to to play with him. I love this scene. I think there's just something to be said about Bond films needing a casino scene in them. It's kind of how I love when there's a train scene as well. It just just feels right. And I think it's the same with a casino. You just need to have a little bit in a casino uh, and and I think not only that, but this whole Bond and Largo at the, I think it's the same game that they were playing in Doctor No. I still didn't look at what it's called, but where you have the 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 bank or the bonk, whatever it is, and the cards and stuff. Um, they end up playing that game together. And I just love this scene. I think the it's just two two great characters. Although we don't we don't know much about Largo at this point, but he does I think go on to become quite an interesting. Uh, character and you just see bond sort of probing this largo character that he's just heard about and there's something about him and you you get i love i love the little bits where he's he's slipping in the word specter into oh, yeah. into the dialogue you know specter of defeat trying to catch out largo see <laughs> see so his response not subtle it's so not good. subtle at all i mean it's sort of the beginning of where you you see that they both know uh, they both know that each other is kind of bad but they have to, they just go along for so long just sort of putting up with one another um and this is kind of where that begins and i just it's just bond being so smarmy and and cocky again we spoke about cocky bond in the last one but this i think it works really well here yeah it's a, it's a format we've seen a lot already where it's Bond and a villain playing against each other in a game that doesn't really mean that much, but they both know each other's up to something and we just see that dynamic. And that dynamic's just always fun to see. And I know you didn't really like the golf scene, but I think the golf scene is just a different version of this casino scene, where it's Bond and a villain just kind of throwing lines at each other, trying to win at this game. And it's just a friendly competition, but there's so much more at stake. And maybe this one's more effective because it is, like you say, Bond feels very correct in a casino and it's just great to see him in that tux. Mm. But I think this is something that the Bond film does really, or Bond series in general does very well, putting Bond in these situations. And it's just enjoyable seeing Bond just poking the bear, basically, and just trying to get a rise out of these, like, who are meant to be very smart people and not really getting a rise, but still seeing him try. It's just always fun to to see this dynamic play out. Yeah. And, and Largo himself, the actor that plays him, I had to look him up just now, Adolfo Celli. Just, just a cool, cool looking guy. I mean, the eye patch helps. <laughs> eye patches always make people look cooler. I don't think it's ever explained why he has an eye patch. One of those things we don't need to. In fact, it's probably better that you don't know. It just adds a bit of mystery to the character. Um, but yeah, I think the way that he he they, they're constantly trying to one up each other in this game, and just the little quips and back and forths, it's it's great. Oh yeah, yeah, very enjoyable for sure. Uh, so to go through the next scenes uh, quite quickly here. So 
Bond kind of offers to buy Domino a drink, of which number two or Largo says, yeah, sure, go ahead. That'd be very helpful because uh, uh, Domino is a mistress, basically, of, of Largo, we find out. So they then invite him to Sunday lunch, uh, where Largo then says, what did you talk about with Mr. Bond? Because they have a, a brief chat where Bond's trying to get some info. Largo's all like, hey, what did you talk about? She tells him it's not really all that much. Uh, and then after that, we cut to Bond going to the hotel. And everyone, they love putting Bond in hotels. And I know why, but we always have to go through this scene of Bond investigating in a hotel room and looking around yeah yeah. yeah, it's a bond film it's like more classic than other staples like bond in a hotel Uh, and we do go through this routine again here of bond checking uh, his hotel um, to eventually find a man with a gun who's trying to kill him yeah yes small fry small fry because he just lets him go in the end because he knows it's just largo spying on him and um we finally is this where we work out who the mysterious figure on the beach was is it now or is it earlier that this no it, it's now so it the gray now. suit shows up and knocks on the door and bond punches him in the stomach and, oh yes <laughs> and pulls him in because bond has been recording his room and he's able to figure out somebody's in there so he's trying to track him but felix shows up at the wrong time so he punches him in the stomach leaves him there he then takes up the small fry takes him go and then they we are introduced to felix for the the third time in the series third time and a third new felix it's uh another new actor now last time in goldfinger i did complain that i thought the character of felix was too old uh because i think they're meant to be similar ages this one a lot better younger kind of has that american uh i don't know how to describe it but but yeah he's he's better suited to the character still don't think it's a very good felix i don't really think we ever got a very good felix until quite far along the film franchise um because he's kind of a bit of an empty character in the end but at least it's a step in the right direction they did they made him younger so there you go yeah i thought he was a solid felix but there's just not much you can do when they keep recasting the character. It sucks. Like, imagine if this was the same person in all three films, in Doctor No, in uh, Goldfinger, and this one. That would be so cool yeah. to see James Sean Connery and someone who's consistent as Felix keep meeting up like this. But the fact they recast it just sucks all life out of this character. And Yeah, it, it, he doesn't need to do too much if he was just someone you saw all the time. But the fact that I saw him being recast again, I was like, ugh, just like... How am I supposed to be interested in this character when they just keep refreshing him? And it really kills it for me, which is just, oh, it just sucks because this it would have been so cool if it was the same dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of why the Daniel Craig Felix works a whole lot better. And also something that is very obvious, just I think this is the nature of the character, the characters really is that Felix can't really be more interesting than bond it's just it's a bond film it's not a felix film so what that means is it just ends up being someone just as a bit of a it's not even a sidekick it's just he's just there and just does some bits every now and then but nothing really interesting it's just purely to push the plot along and i think this one in particular just seems very uh very kind of empty behind the eyes sort of thing it's just i don't know there's just not much to it but maybe it's a bit of a doomed character really anyway yeah, it's nice to see Felix. So I do like him being here, but 
they just yeah they've just kind of messed up the character too much by this point in the franchise they need stability and we just don't have it yet which Mm. means it's always going to be a little bit disappointing and hollow yeah so we cut to largo in his lovely home in the bahamas pal palmyra i think it's called or something like that um and the the small fry comes back from a failed bust at bond in the hotel and uh, largo is is clearly not a big fan of this so we get <laughs> we get sharks honestly they say about how austin powers ruined bond it really did for a lot of things i just can't think of sharks without thinking of like laser beams on their freaking head yeah. from austin powers whenever you see sharks in bond films like this but yeah but largo has a nice big pool full of sharks in his home because why wouldn't you and uh the guy the 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 small fry literally does become a small fry which i guess is quite good um and gets pushed into the sharks to um to get eaten again i mean you don't really nothing too too graphic it's all kept very like oh there's just a bit of red in the water and then they move on which is which is fine um you don't need to see we don't need any like uh felix limb biting or head popping action quite yet in the series but yeah you you kind of see that um Largo doesn't mess around, and the sharks are definitely a prominent thing in this film. You do see quite a lot of them. I guess there are a lot of sharks in the Bahamas. So, yeah. And I think, really, that's kind of it. It just kind of sets up that there are sharks in in Largo's home, and that we will not, you know, it's not going to be the end of them. Uh, yeah, I like, I actually like the sharks more than I thought I would, because I didn't think I would for the reasons you described. They're just such a cliche that you just can't be afraid of them. But I actually did quite like them. And the subtle thing they did here is what you said. You just you don't see him be eaten at all. He just gets pushed in and then they show the water going from blue to red, which was a really nice parallel and throwback to the opening sequence where mm. that went from blue to red and purple quite a bit. So it was nice to see that kind of come around. It's a small thing, but it, it made it a little bit more effective for me. Yeah. All the all the sharks are uh, all the shark scenes are, are dealt with quite professionally in the sense of it's not you know you're not getting any sort of jaws esque things with with big sharks biting onto and then like obvious obvious puppetry and and stuff it is just shots of sharks and and the tension is not so much them biting and eating things it's just them being close hmm. so and I mean sharks are sharks are sharks you don't necessarily need to have all the big dramatic stuff it's it's fine just to have them swing around that's enough danger uh which we'll see later on but then yeah i i was surprised i was surprised how much i liked the shark and their elements in this film i was expecting not to like it but for the reasons you said about how it's real and they have a presence uh it works a lot better than the gore we see later yeah i will say the fact that they are real does it put a little bit of a down on things later on when you can see them actually get shot with things Mm. which i didn't quite like but you know animal rights in in film film industry wasn't quite uh where it is now i suppose so they just well they didn't get to women's rights by this point (laughs) so animals were second to them true yeah there was a a long way to go but following this scene we get our cue scene of the film cues back and literally back in terms of he is he is out in in the field this time which was quite uh which is quite nice to see. I kind of forgot that they did this so soon because I I always think of um, License to Kill. With... I thought it was the Living Daylights. Is it Living Daylights? I it was. It's definitely a Tim Tim uh, Timothy Dalton one. I think it's the Living Daylights, 
where yeah. Q goes gets a bit more involved. Yeah, one one of those two. I always think of that that film when I think of Q going out and not just being in in the Q branch underground. But no, it happens now, and I completely forgot that. Yeah, I I forgot that as well. But it's really nice. It just so basically they've set up this small little operation. Him and Felix and a few other kind of random people who are just kind of there to help and support. And they've built this up, this built uh, this kind of area. And then Q is there, and we get the Q branch scene. Now I'm going to hand it over to you because I was trying to write down all the gadgets, but I kind of couldn't keep up. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I've missed some because he gets a lot of gadgets in this film compared to previous films. He does, yeah. Although, once again, it's all quite sensible gadgets. We're not getting crazy exploding pens again still. It's things like um, a, a camera that's a Geiger counter or a little rebreather so you can breathe underwater for four minutes just as a little last resort thing or uh, the radioactive pill that acts as a tracker. That They're all very <laughs> useful things that you might actually see being used in, in spy work. And they are all eventually used. And it's good because it kind of goes back to uh, From Rush of Love and not so much Goldfinger, which we talked about all the gadgets being the car, basically, and therefore all being used in the same situation. At least with this film, all those gadgets are used for different things. And not only that, but by different people as well, which is which is kind of cool. Yeah, I like the practicality of this. This doesn't have like the tension that I described about from Russia with Love, but it was just more of a practicality thing. Bond just has all these gadgets and he just kind of uses them as he needs them. So yeah, there's no... For me anyway, there was no satisfying payoff, but it was still satisfying seeing Bond using all this gear in all these situations and having it just kind of apply and be helpful. So it's a very different style, I feel like, from From Russia With Love, but I, I still think it works. It's just nice to see Q give him all the stuff and then he just kind of uses it. It's It, it just works. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Although later on, I think some of them... I don't know if they just sort of wrote themselves into a corner with some of these gadgets. Maybe they... I don't know why they couldn't have just cut them out. But to me, later on, it seems like some of them were used just for the sake of being used and actually not being... I'm thinking of the tracker, but we'll get onto that a bit later. I just think, like, why was that needed? But I don't think we missed any gadgets, did we? Or maybe we did. Maybe. It's a lot. It's definitely a lot. There is a lot. Well, there you go. If we did, we did. So something I did notice about this scene, because we spoke about in Goldfinger how Q to you didn't feel like the full version of Q just yet, where to me I felt like it was a little bit more. But seeing his dynamic in this film, I kind of got what you were talking about a little bit more, Mm. where he's just got so little patience for Bond and what he's doing. Um, Although one thing we do see, which I don't think they talk about, is the jetpack sort of thing that Bond uses underwater. I don't Jetpack's probably the the wrong term, but you know that big thing that's on his back that like a propels him forward oh is that the thing he's fiddling with like turning yeah on the lights it's and the, the thing and he's the fiddling with in yeah, the scene. yeah 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 so we see oh, that yeah. as well but yeah like you say q just is very i feel like he is very fleshed out at this point if he wasn't for you last time i'd assume he is in this time because he just has no patience for bond messing around with stuff yeah this is definitely they've, they've now reached that point where it stays for the whole you know all the time desmond llewellyn is q and i guess you could even you could even think like, well, you know, Q's been brought all this way out. Maybe he would be grumpier. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't want to be here. Uh, but then that being said, he is in his nice little uh, kind of Hawaiian shirt and everything. So 
Yeah, maybe he's on holiday as well. I don't know. He could be. Maybe the actor didn't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I am an old white man. What are you doing? <laughs> this is where we find out it was actually just an, on you know the Pinewood soundstage. Yeah, probably, right? It was indoors, so it probably was. <laughs> probably. Yeah. So we have a lot of very quick scenes, uh, so I'll get them quite quick. So again, we have another example of it just jumps between these quick little scenes, which it never did before. So we have Felix and Bond saying we need to board Largo's ship or boat because Largo is staying in this boat called Disco... Oh, Disco Disco Volante. Volante. That's what Disco Volante. So they decide, hey, Largo's a bad egg. We should go visit him. And then this cuts to the conference room back in MI6, where Blofeld is explaining how to send this money over to them. And then they're all saying, we're probably going to have to pay this money. And something that's actually quite nice is, I don't remember all the details of Diamonds Are Forever, but Blofeld specifically says, I want all this money in diamonds. And I'm pretty sure that's a reference to the events of Diamonds Are Forever, where they need diamonds to execute their plan. Oh, interesting i did not put those two and those two things together i just presumed diamonds would be a, like a because it's not a particular currency so it's i don't know it would be tied to anything but yeah i like that idea more yeah it i initially thought maybe that's it but then the fact that specter's final plan in in diamonds are forever all revolves around diamonds to me it almost implies that their whole schemes are actually trying to get a lot of diamonds they need a ton of diamonds to do their scheme and fundable actually might be them their first attempt to get all these diamonds so i thought that it, it's probably accidental but a potential link which i thought was was quite cool yeah yeah i'll take it i like that uh, so then after this, we have a quick scene of Bond prepping for his mission. Uh, and then we go to night where Bond gets in all his scuba deer, his red wetsuit and his lovely white shorts and <laughs> dives underwater to basically take pictures of Largo's ship and observe. Yeah, they are using the camera already from Q, which is nice. Uh, I put down that. So I put I said before about being negative because this this film having lots of underwater scenes and so I, I saw the scene, I thought, oh, here we go, this is not going to be good. Actually, this one's fine. No, really nothing to complain about. Bond is just underwater, looking at the bottom of the ship, and takes a photo of the hatch. Turns out there's an underwater hatch there. Um, and, and then eventually he gets spotted by the, the crew on board, and they start uh, dropping grenades in the water and, and eventually hmm. chasing him. So nice and quick, doesn't really drag on too long. I like the underwater shots here. You're right. Like sometimes underwater things can be cool. I think it's just underwater fights that we see later on don't really work for me. But this this was, you know, perfectly fine. Perfectly fine scene. It's the spy work scene, right? It's Bond knowing there's a bad guy. He's going to investigate the bad guy. He gets a little bit caught and then has to get out of there. We saw it in Goldfinger. We probably saw him from Russia with Love, but I can't remember. But we saw it in Goldfinger. It's that scene. But the twist is that he's underwater taking pictures of a boat. And I thought that was cool. And it is quite intense that Largo is like, get the hand grenades. We'll deal with this. <laughs> and he just has the guy like, <laughs> yeah. there, put the hand grenade down there. And then there's just explosions. Um, you don't ever actually see the explosions near Sean Connery, I don't think. The camera just shakes a bit and the water shoots up, but... It's still, it's it's pretty cool. I, I appreciate the plan. It's simple, but, you know, yeah, just throw a load of hand grenades. That should solve the problem. 
Yeah, and I like how you could see Bond uh, sort of wincing with his ears because of the of what would have been the the, the shockwave of it. And you're right, you don't see any explosions, but I think that's enough, along with the camera shaking and everything, to really sell the danger that Bond's in. It, it does the job. Yeah, like you say, solid little scene. Um, Bond then is able to get away because he's being chased by a little boat because they have found him by getting rid of his oxygen tanks. And the people very quickly assume he's dead. They're just like, oh, oxygen tank. It's like, oh, he must have been killed by the the rotors or whatever let's go back (laughs) like instantly decide to leave terrible henchman i think largo needs to go rehire because yeah they just give up so like comically fast he must have been hit by the propeller let's go yeah okay (laughs) cool scene over yeah no need to confirm we're out of here yeah no blood or anything just go nope Uh, and then bond is able to get away he goes back to shore where he (laughs) so he takes off his gear walks up to the road, sticks his thumb out, and straight away there's a car where we see the Spectre Woman from She's earlier. Back. She's back! Uh, the one that was there when the pilot was killed and saved Bond using the, the motorbike missile actually then picks him up and starts to drive, drive very fast is is pretty much this whole scene, right? Yeah, I I, I didn't... I didn't really get what they were trying to do with this scene. I guess it's just a power dynamic of she she drives really fast. Women driving fast is mad. Goodness. <laughs> the 60s? That's not possible. Uh, yeah, she just drives really, really quickly back to the hotel. And it's meant... I don't really... Is it meant to be... I really don't know. Bond looks a little bit shaken from it. Uh, but But really, there's not much to it. They just drive back. Yeah, there's not too much. It's more reintroducing this character is how I kind of take it. And Bond sees the Spectre ring. And I was thinking about it. It's like, do we actually see the Spectre symbol that much up to this point? Because it wouldn't have been in Goldfinger. Maybe it was in Doctor No, but I don't remember seeing it in From Russia With Love. I'm just curious if when Bond sees her ring with the, the octopus on it, would people at that time actually recognize it as Spectre's symbol? Hmm. I don't know if the audience would have, but it definitely was in From Rush of Love because I remember seeing it. Okay. Because it's the old Spectre symbol, which is like really wiggly, the really wiggly octopus before they changed it into the slightly different one. So, yeah, it would have been seen, but I don't know if that would have been enough to link it to Spectre. Okay. Yeah, again, I think some people might have missed it, but yeah. it's still a cool throw. If you do get it, then that's that's quite neat. But it's another one of those power dynamics of Bond knowing who she is. She knows who Bond is, but they kind of got to play that game a little bit. But eventually she just drops him off at the hotel, which we do get an explanation <laughs> for later. But it's like, here you go. Here's your stop, sir. So oh, thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. And then this goes to Bond and Felix then taking a look at the photos that they took. Uh, where they say the plane is underwater because I think they surmise that because the boat has that hatch, it means that they must have. I actually don't know. Um... I don't blame you because this scene. The only thing I noted about this scene is that it moves so quickly that the dialogue isn't even finished by the time it's fading to the next scene. I yeah. think it's Paula who's talking about something, and it's lit literally the scene is now on the next scene it's like she's just been cut off by the film it's just it's so quick it's so so quick poor paula 
Yeah, justice for Paula, for sure. Mm. But this was just like, bare minimum. They take a look at the photos. They say, right, because of this hatch, there's... We know his spectre and we know the plane is underwater somewhere. So then we cut to Felix and Bond basically flying around the ocean being like, well, there's a plane here somewhere, I guess. Uh, and they just kind of look around. Uh, we get quite a few helicopter shots. And this is something I do appreciate about this film in general, where I know people can kind of complain about the water and things like that. But I complained in the last podcast about Goldfinger, how you don't really get a sense of where Bond has gone, where Switzerland could have just been any country in Europe. And America, you get you get a bit more going with America, but it's still not to its full potential. This whole film, now that we're here, after the England bit at the start, takes place in the Bahamas. And they do a really good job of setting the place. And we go a little bit to a little bit back to what Dr. No did of here's Jamaica and you get a good sense of what Jamaica's like and from much of here's Istanbul and you get a good sense of what that's like. This film goes back to that and that's something I really kind of appreciate about this film overall and I think it's actually something that actually makes me like it quite a bit. This strong theming and the strong theming around everything involving the Bahamas, the sharks being played in and things like that, the underwater scenes. This is about this island and these collection of islands and this kind of beautiful tropical water and and things like that. And it kind of starts here a little bit because the helicopter shots just show this kind of beautiful blue ocean and it sets up this theming that we already saw in the the opening sequence as well. But it's something I really appreciate because it really ties the the film together. And maybe it doesn't give it the strongest identity because everyone forgets this film. But it, it does have a clear identity and it ties that identity to its location. And I think that plays heavily into the film's favour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, this film, to me, is very similar to Doctor No in that regard. Um which is a good thing. I, I do like, I do like that it does show off so much of the Bahamas. Even down to later on, we get that sort of parade, Mardi Gras looking thing. I just, I, I love that that you're really getting all these different elements, day and night, and these at these different locations. Uh, so, yeah, definitely an improvement over Goldfinger for me. Yeah, it's just an element that I don't need it in a Bond film. But when it has it, it does make it a little bit stronger in my eyes, especially these early ones with Sean Connery. Yeah. So after that, we get Bond visiting Largo in his nice fancy shark-riddled home on the islands. Um, And it starts off with Largo and... What's her name again? (laughs) I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Is it Volpe? Yeah, Volpe. That's got to be it. Let's go with Volpe. Uh, shooting clay pigeon targets uh, across the ocean, which looks quite cool. I'd like to give that a go, to be honest. But uh, I think that is, this is where we learn. It's kind of similar to Goldfinger, where we learn about why Bond is still alive, why there's this very obvious, they both know what each other's up to, but they're not really doing anything about Well, the bad guys aren't really doing anything about Bond. And it's because, similarly to what, Goldfinger says about if Bond is killed, then they will, you know, the game is up. They'll start looking here. They'll know something's going on. Uh, It's the same thing here where if Bond, something happens to Bond here in Nassau, then it's going to be kind of obvious that, yeah, the bombs are here. So they have to keep him alive, but just off of the trail enough. So, yeah, very, very similar to Goldfinger. But, you know, you kind of need this. Otherwise, you could just argue like, oh, well, there was so many opportunities for them to have uh, killed him by now. But no. So... Uh, after that, 
Bond does come to visit. Thinking about it, I think he gets invited, doesn't he? I think Largo invites him to his house earlier well, on. Yeah, he did say before about coming to Sunday lunch, which I guess implies he knows that Bond would come over at some point. Yeah, yeah, so Bond does come over. And you, it's basically, to me, this scene is just more of what we saw in the casino. More just little back and forth quips. If anything, Bond is even worse. Like, Bond is actually kind of annoying <laughs> in this scene in just how boisterous he's being. So, for example, uh, Largo gives him the chance to have a go, like, with the... Or I think Bond asks if he could have a go on the, the pigeon shooting and uh, says something like, oh, it must be awfully difficult, and then just kind of shoots it blind, like a blind shot, and gets it. It's just so smarmy. I'm like, oh, Bond, come on. You don't need to be that much in your face. No, I'm all about it. <laughs> like, I didn't like Hockey Bond that much in there, but there's sometimes it works for me, sometimes it doesn't. I think the fact that Largo is the way he is, where he's got like, look at my island and I've got sharks and here's my eye patch. I'm super evil to have someone kind of come up to him and just like make him look a bit silly. I think because of Largo, it works really well of Bond being a little bit more childish and, and boyish, I guess, and silly. Or just kind of, again, trying to poke the bear against someone who's so like, I'm number two inspector. And he's just like making him look dumb. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was great. I thought I think their dynamic it's not the strongest one for sure, but Bond being Bond against him is is a really solid part of the film. Yeah, I mean, I say that, I, I think like, deep down I actually do like it. I, kind of like, he's delightfully annoying. It's just, he goes so far and it's you, you almost have to appreciate it with, uh, what, with what he's doing. I think after that bit, I'm struck, this is the thing, there's so many bits in this film that my memory just completely goes out because is it now where he goes and sees Domino again? Yeah, so basically Domino is there at Largo's house because Largo, uh, uh, Domino is Largo's mistress and Largo invites Bond to go take Domino out later. I don't know why. I'm assuming mm. it's just to distract him and things like that. So if yeah. he's out with Domino, then he can't be investigating the missiles and things like that. So yeah, that happens. And then it cuts to the Spectre woman, uh, Faux I think, right? has actually broken into... Hold on, let me get this right. So he, it goes back to Bond's hotel room and the Spectre woman is there. Yeah, yeah. And then... Oh, my notes don't make sense. <laughs> A lot of this film doesn't make sense. <laughs> okay, no, okay, I've got it. All right, I've got it. So we cut to basically the faux pay goes to seduce Bond. While that is happening, Paula, everyone's favourite, gets oh. kidnapped by a load of men. Paula, no. Yeah, so there, like you say, this all goes very quickly. Um, I think that's... No, no, that can't be right. No, I've, sorry, I've written this down wrong. So this, the seduction doesn't happen here. This is purely just, I think, Fope is going with some men to kidnap Paula. And I think that's all that happens. Okay. There's a lot of Spectre agents going into hotel rooms. In this it's, it's always the same two hotel rooms because they're right next to each other. Yeah. So yeah, so Paula gets kidnapped. But it, ignore everything we said, Paula gets kidnapped. Okay. And then this cuts to a big parade, which, looking at Wikipedia, it says it's called a Junkanoo celebration. Oh, that's right. Junkanoo. I was trying to think of what they called it earlier. Junkanoo, right. Yeah, and at this point, I actually had to look up where this was taking place, which I know sounds silly considering how I praise the theming of this film and its location, 
But I, I was like, oh, Bahamas. Okay, cool. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. I knew it was like a tropical island or something, but I, I the name, I missed it. So I had to kind of look it up. But we get this big parade, this big celebration. And when we get Bond in his suit uh, with Domino, and then Felix signals to Bond that something is up to, to not exactly. And... Bond then goes down and Bond tells Felix, hey, hang out with Domino for a bit. And Felix tells Bond that Paula, not Paula, has been kidnapped. <laughs> Poor Paula. I just I just looked up because I, I thought I recognised at first. I thought Paula was the um, annoying photographer from Dr. No. Oh, God, no. But, but not no, Paula. It, no, not Paula. But she was one of the um, women who was in the cat fight in From Russia of Love. Oh, yeah. So Paula, so, so this is, so Bond goes back to find Paula. Yes, after a very quick scene of him ordering a power cut for that island. Oh right, there's a power cut as well. Oh, so many bits <laughs> in this film. This yeah. bit, yeah, this bit does move quick. Um, this is where he then has to break into Largo's place. Yes, yes, because that's where Paula's been taken. Okay. I'm on the I'm on the level now. I mm. think. I think. So yeah, we get Bond doing a little bit more um kind of operative spying, disguise, trying to sneak around Largo's place. I think he takes out one of the guards and breaks in to Largo's place and eventually finds where uh Paul is kept. There's is it now when the power is cut and then Largo says, oh, go turn on the backup generators? Yeah, so after Bond is broken in, the, the lights come back on, which we hear Largo say, turn on the backup generators. So yeah, everything then comes back. Right. And what is it that causes... So the room that Paul is in, what what is it that causes them to leave? What do you mean, leave? So so Bond can go in and, and see her. Do they just walk out? Or are they just done? I think they're just done because they find her dead. Right. They find her dead and say, oh, it's cyanide. So basically Paula has had cyanide on her and she she killed herself. Uh, so she didn't reveal anything. Then I think those two people then leave probably to report it, I would su- assume. And then Bond can see that Paula has been killed. Uh, okay. And then the guards find the knocked out guard who's waking up, who I thought... He- Bond killed him, but apparently just knocked him out. And this sounds the alarm, which then triggers the shootout of Bond between the guards. I was trying to remember if Bond did anything to distract the guard, the, the two guards in the room, or yeah, if they just left on their own accord. Okay, so they just left and that let Bond have a chance to go in and yeah, see Paula dead. I was a little bit... When I first saw this bit, I was like, oh, that's sad. Paula, no, sort Not of thing. Not Paula. Not Paula. And I was like, oh, that's a bit annoying that they didn't... Basically, Bond didn't seem very, very sad. But then I thought about it some more. I'm like, well, hang on a minute. Why am I sad? I don't even know who this character is. She's barely been in the film. So then I was like, actually, I'll give the film a break. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, just it is what it is. I thought at one point there could be the potential for a bit more. But, but no, actually, I think it's completely fair that Bond just looks and is like, oh, that's a shame. And then he gets on with the mission. Yeah, there's no point with how this film is structured for him to linger on that. But I think no. what makes it sad is that you just see her dead in the chair. And then they just explain, yeah, cyanide. And that's kind of just like, oh, snap. Wow, okay. <laughs> like, that sucks for anyone, even Paula, that would suck for. Yeah. It would but be I think it's the fact that you see her dead in the chair and you get a very brief explanation. But it's like, oh, wow, okay. All right. Yeah, the explanation of it being cyanide, I think, makes it more impactful than 
if they had just ended up killing her. So it gives it gives a little bit more to the character actually sacrificing themselves to to save Squealing. Good old Paula. Good old Paula. May she rest in peace. So then the rest of this scene. So I don't have too much to say about kind of this scene in general up to this point because it is just Bond sneaking, which is always very enjoyable to see. But the fact that it all wraps up very quickly, it's just like, yeah, he went to go see save Paulo and now she's dead and now he just kind of has to leave. And then even kind of the shootout is very kind of basic. I don't quite get what happens here where Bond starts shooting and then Largo says, stop shooting. He's making you shoot at each other. Yeah. What was that about? Um, I guess Bond is just is just moving a lot and then be and then shooting from different angles and then I guess just expecting them to blindly shoot in one direction and hit the others. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not not really the cleanest thing, but uh, yeah, you can kind of see what he's trying to do. Maybe or maybe he should just try and leave. But <laughs> no, yeah. So then eventually Bond is being chased down by the guards. He ends up wrestling with one of the guards, as he does, and they both fall into a pool. And Largo and the rest of the guards kind of get there, and he basically activates this metal uh, shutter over the top, which locks them inside the pool so they can't get out, which then leads to Bond stabbing a guard as part of the fight, and then Largo goes and lets the sharks in. And... When I was saying how I like the sharks, this is probably the best scene with them in, especially knowing that Sean Connery did get into a pool mm. <laughs> with sharks. Yeah. And this is this is quite, there's some movie magic, but overall this is quite real. And in this scene in particular, seeing the sharks enter the pool and seeing James Bond basically get behind the hatch where the sharks come out, have the hatch open, and then have a shark just calmly swim by him. I was like, that's a pretty cool shot. Like, these are pretty imposing in this scene. Yeah, there's a whole, there's a story about how they filmed this and using plexiglass to divide Sean Connery from the the, the sharks and how at one point it went a bit wrong and like the sharks got out slightly. And that's all well and good. I gotta be honest, I didn't, maybe I wasn't paying attention too much, but I didn't notice any kind of obvious, it's not like the tarantula thing from Dr. No, where you could see the glass pressed against the skin. Um of Sean Connery. I couldn't actually see much that would give it away in this so, film. I did notice it. And that's one. I think it's when the second shark goes by. Sean Connery is putting his hand up. And it quite obviously looks like it's being pressed up against something. Oh, that's a shame. So he's like has his hand in a in a way like a mime would, you know, like when mm. you're pretending there's a wall there, he kind of has it up like that and it does make it kind of look like yeah, he's probably touching the the plexiglass in that in that spot. Oh, movie magic ruined. I just completely missed that part. I might have been writing a note down. Oh well, maybe that was for the best. Yeah, it still works really well. I still kind of like it and it's not the only shark like and the fact that Bond has to swim down the same passage the sharks came down it's really effective because you're like well surely there's more sharks. We've seen there's a lot of sharks so you know another shark's going to show up. So even without much violence or anything like that just having these sharks swim by and ignore Bond to go for the guard I really liked it. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Uh, why why Lago has the the shoot from one pool into the other for the sh- I mean I guess it's for situations exactly like this I don't know how often <laughs> he gets guards in one pool that he needs to attack with sharks or maybe it's just like extra room for the sharks to swim it might be to qu- uh, clean the pools because I've had fish 
and sometimes you would just have to take the fish out clean their area and then put them back in so you would have to transfer them so i would assume it's that oh he cares about his sharks Largo. that's nice well he makes someone else does it but yeah he's <laughs> it's hey, mate, he makes sure they're well fed that's for sure yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah so after that, we then have Bond going back to the hotel room. And now this is the scene where, oh, I can't remember her name again, Spectre Woman Volpe. is there. Yeah, Volpe. Uh, sounds like a Pokemon, but whatever. Um, <laughs> she's in there having a bath. And this is actually, I forgot about this moment, but as much of a creep Bond can be, this is one of these creepy moments I actually found quite funny, where she's in a bath and she's supposed to be all like, oh, James, so, you know, she's doing a bit of acting. And she asks James Bond, would you mind giving me something to put on? So he kicks up her shoes, gives it to her, and then just sits down calmly. Yeah, this this is such a... This is always uh, kind of shown in if it was like a montage or something. I, this is quite a popular clip to use for good reason. And I don't, I don't think this has any sort of creepiness to it for me because, for starters, she broke into his hotel room so already like well it's her fault she shouldn't have been there uh but it's it's quite just a it's a very it's just so cheesy it's like such a cheesy little joke it's a little such a gag um but done so well that i really like this and it's yeah i think it's um remembered quite fondly because of that yeah it's one of the best jokes i would say coming from sean connery's james bond yeah and this leads to them sleeping together because, of course, it does. But it's kind of a, a thing where she's doing it to distract Bond and probably eventually kill him, which is where this goes, I think. Uh, then he's doing it because, well, it's James Bond. Um, but something I did notice about this scene, and it happens in quite a few other shots, where there's a lot of low angle shots in this film where the camera is pointed quite low or placed quite low, and then pointed upwards. And I don't quite know why. I'm assuming it's just a stylistic choice. But this is why I didn't think that this... Or you could have told me Terence Young didn't direct this and I would have believed you. Because there was no shots like that in either of his other two films. But this film has such a different sense with that because of these shots. And most of them are indoors in this hotel. And we get another one here where it's just... It's low... It's it's placed down, pointing upwards. And it just gives these hotel scenes a little bit of a different feel where the camera was actually quite high in the first two ones that uh, Terence Young did. A, a small point, but one that uh, I definitely noticed. Hmm. Do you think it's a good thing or, or not? I don't know. It's just a stylistic choice. I mean, it gives it a different feel to the other ones, but I don't. Re- I couldn't really say one's better than the other. It does make it feel a little bit more kind of dynamic and interesting to look at than those other films. But those first two films have a charm in how basic they are sometimes. So it's like yeah. apples and oranges, really. Yeah, I would agree. This is this is the scene after they step together. One of the, I'm going to say one of the standout parts for me. I think that's a little bit over-egging it. It's not that great, but it's it's something. And I remember, this is one of the things I remembered from the film, liking before watching it again this time. So after, after they sleep together, Bond and Volpe are about to go out to the Junkaroo. And, oh no, there's more bad guys at the door. And this is where Volpe turns and kind of reveals that she's... Well, they both knew they were bad, but now it's just sort of come to light. And what I really like about this scene, although if you actually think about it too much, I don't quite know the logic. 
But Volpe saying about how Bond, uh, you know, they slept together and, and Bond's, you know, it was for, for king and country, there was no meaning to it, you know, purely for work sort of thing. And Volpe sort of, I don't know where she's getting this from, but it's very much a comment on the Bond template and the Bond girl, yeah. which is, she says, oh, you know, Bond, your ego um, sleeps with a woman. And I can't remember the quote she says exactly, but but basically that she, Bond would sleep with a, with a bad bad woman and she repents and hears heavenly angels and, and yeah, repents and returns to the side of virtue sort of thing. And this is clearly a comment on a character like Pussy Galore where that exact thing happened off screen <laughs> for most of it uh, in Goldfinger. And I like that the Bond series is a little bit introspective like that where it's it can kind of call out what I think is was not dealt with very well in Goldfinger. And and the point being that, you know, Volpe is not like that. Bond can sleep with her, but she's still bad. She's not gonna she's not gonna switch sides. That's great. How does she like if this is like referring to Pussy Galore or just other characters Bond's done that with, how does she know that? I guess Spectre has eyes everywhere is the, the easy way to explain it. I think so. That's how I would just take it that Spectre just knows everything about Bond at this point. So yeah. he knows that that had happened. Uh, but from Russia with Love wasn't really like that because Spectre had someone pretending to fall in love with him and that was her character. So yeah, you're right. In the film series, it hadn't happened. But yeah, I agree. It, it's interesting that sometimes the Bond franchise can be so pointing the finger at itself, which I think it needs to do occasionally from time to time. But it can point its finger at itself and then still kind of do it in the same film. We still had the masseuse scene, which wasn't great. But mm. I, I guess that scene needed to happen to make this line makes sense but yeah it's a little bit odd but i agree with you it's it's appreciated that there's some sort of awareness that bond can sometimes just like bed women and women can just fall over him in a way that doesn't really make sense or is overly realistic so yeah it's nice to have it pointed out even if it's a, a small throwaway line yeah i think it helps make volpe quite a quite a good character in the end i think it, definitely some some stranger moments in the film with her but overall as a sort of subversion to previous women in the Bond films, we still have Domino, but as an, as another Bond girl, and if you could describe her as a Bond girl, uh, yeah, one that does not follow a pattern, so to speak. So, yeah, I like Volpe. I think it's quite good. I like this whole scene actually, where she's just kind of berating Bond and and putting him putting him in his place, so to speak. Yeah. So we then get these scenes where. It's a loud parade is going on, as we've already said, and it's actually showing you the parade on and off throughout these kind of scenes that it's all playing out. So we get a little bit more of the parade, and then the guards and Flope escort him out and mm -hmm. escorts him into a car. So I guess they weren't trying to kill him. I think they just wanted to capture him. Uh, I think that's how I take it. And some guy goes up to the car and says ah oh, buy this buy this buy this and they're like no go away it's like no no buy it though <laughs> and bond sees yeah. a bottle of wine in the man's hand so kicks it over and then sets it alight although i don't remember how i think it just so happened that volpe was lighting a cigarette at the very same second so ah, well there you go of course yeah. it's a cigarette yeah it just works 
Yeah, so then they he sets them all a blast a little bit, doesn't really do any damage to them, but it gives him a chance to escape. And very interestingly, they shoot at Bond and hit him. And the bullet yeah. goes into his ankle, and the rest of the scene is Bond limping through this parade with them chasing him, and the henchmen are using the blood that's coming from his ankle to the floor, and it's... I actually really like this scene for a couple of reasons. The first is that the contrast between the chase and the loud parade is great. Like the mm. loud parade and how in your face it is really adds a ton of tension to it. Cause it's in a lot of ways, it's kind of unpleasant to be honest because of just how loud it is. But when you contrast that to this chase scene and then all this noise, it just really builds it up. I, I thought it was a really clever use, uh, but to see bond limping, like this it's very different and he definitely feels very on the back foot on it and it's kind of like okay well how is he going to get out of this one uh, but like more so than most other scenes you kind of see so i i really liked it i thought this was a really great set piece it really reminded me of a scene from moonraker and if someone had asked me to describe a bond film with a scene like this with a big loud parade and and kind of uh, something going on quite malicious in the background but juxtapose of really happy uh event i would have said moonraker i completely again it's another thing that i completely forgot was in this film and it was i was really pleased to see it because yeah i totally agree i loved i loved the shots and the, the the camera work it's just almost you know drunk it's kind of swaying on all of these loud uh costumes and and parades and floats and and then you get bond yeah as you say limping which might be a first uh great great scene loved it so eventually he hides in a float for a little bit and then he gets out of one of the floats and escapes through the crowd and he's still limping off and he arrives at the Kiss Kiss Club mm-hmm. where he goes to the bathroom, he washes his ankle, he wraps his wound and I think that's the last we ever hear of him being shot in the ankle. <laughs> it doesn't sadly. last long. <laughs> yeah, he gets over that pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so he then this is kind of funny. He then grabs a random woman to the dance floor and she's all like, oh, you're very bold. <laughs> <laughs> and then they start dancing um but then specter woman or Volpe finds her or finds them and she's like oh i didn't know you were married and <laughs> I, she was great for the two lines that woman had very much enjoyed her get her in the next one yeah i think she should be a the new felix i think if she's her. still alive hopefully <laughs> sorry that's a bit of a downer <laughs> yeah no sorry everyone's Paula, mate sorry sorry still got paula on the mind this guy i know uh so basically because they're in the middle of this club and they don't want to cause a commotion bond and volpe start dancing in the middle slow no it's not slow dancing is it i think it's well it's not very active dancing because sean connery can't do that probably he's also just been shot as well so he's just sort of generally swaying (laughs) yeah a bit of a sway uh, but he's been surrounded by henchmen. So there's a lot of henchmen around and they just start kind of dancing for a little bit, going with the flow, not causing a commotion. And it gets a bit silly here where you have a drummer as part of this club and he's just going nuts on those things. Uh, very exciting <laughs> to see. He loves but, them drums. Apparently, right? And behind the drummer, you have these curtains and a hand and a gun pokes out from behind the curtains and is aiming to shoot at bond and 
it's, it's another way that it was quite clever. The drummer gets faster and faster and there are lots more cuts and things like that. And the idea is that, you know, this gun is going to shoot, but you don't know when, but the tension is being built because of all these cuts and all this drumming and it's going crazy until eventually the gun does go off. But it's, it's, it's another smart little thing. It's just building it up to the point where that gun does fire. So it's another thumbs up. It's another thumbs up from me. It's just a good use of music to, to go along with what we're seeing in in on in the scene it's it's just uh yeah it's simple stuff but you know you put something fast and hectic audio wise and and you match it with this tense situation and that just does enough although i do have a question about this whole scene where the guns coming out the curtain and it eventually does shoot but it doesn't shoot bond doesn't shoot bond no he manages to turn around just in time and it shoots Volpe in the back instead, and he sort of hides it, covers it with his his fingers. How is there an explanation for how he knew where the shot was from and, and when it was going to happen? If was there was luck? one, I didn't see it. I didn't. I I don't know whether it was just meant to be. He just turned, and it was just just so happened to be the right time. I I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to see something that wasn't there. Maybe there was no explanation. He just did it. Yeah, I think it is one of those. Bond's a pretty cool guy. So he he manages to time his spin when he thinks the gun's going to go off because he's just a pretty cool guy like that. So it's fine. Right. Should have known, really. One thing I will quickly say, though, about that. So Volpe gets shot and she dies. Has a great line, Bond putting her down on the table. Says uh, something like, you know, oh, this is this is my friend. Look after my friend. She's just dead. This is great delivery, that line. Great <laughs> yes. line. I love that. Kind of makes up for when I was a bit confused by how he managed to do that. But it's like, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> then, as you say, there was a lot of henchmen surrounding that Kiss Kiss Club. They all just sort of see that and think, oh, no, Volpe's dead. We better go. <laughs> we, better, we better leave. I don't know why. Yeah, why, why do they just suddenly not care? That was a bit strange. Yeah, I don't know. I'm assuming it's because, oh, we just shot our boss. Let's just go. <laughs> Oops. Oopsie. Uh, yeah, there'll soon be shark food, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get, yeah, anything to get bombed out of that situation. Um, so after that, we go back very, very briefly to M. I think it's just, it's just I like how they keep going back to to London. And keeping on, because one thing that they, I'd argue they, they don't do it great on Bond side, but they, they do it well on the the London side, is about the time pressure of this this mission. You know, Spectre is given a very specific deadline uh, for when they want this the diamonds. And uh, so you, you get these these shots back in London of them, you know, try working out, getting the diamonds. And okay, now this is going to be the meeting point where we have to drop off the diamonds somewhere in, I can't remember where it was now. But uh, yeah, you get just more of that, and you get more of more of M, kind of looking worried, but still having faith, <laughs> still defending Bond, still saying he'll do it, even with all the government people and the Home Secretary. They, oh, you know, we're, we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to pay them, sort of thing. I like that they kept they kept the spotlight a little bit on the, the London scenes. I argue that the whole time sensitive nature doesn't really. It's not really very well executed in the Bahamas because I think, although they do say, you know, X amount of hours left until we need to do it, it doesn't really ever seem like Bond's in a rush. I don't know. No, I, I don't get that sense either. No, not really. Um, 
but then you get uh this is the scene with bond oh wait i skipped a huge bit in my notes because bond has to find the plane yeah this next scene i guess i'll cover this one oh, felix well, yeah. and bond are back <laughs> on the helicopter trying to find the plane again underwater and bond sees a load of sharks and he's just like mm, sharks and then he's like let's go down there and take a look and felix is like why and bond's like just okay just they're sharks and once they go down there, they see, well, they, they see something down there. Although Bond uses like a bucket as a telescope, <laughs> which they yeah. don't explain. I don't think Q ever said, now listen here, 007, you'll need this bucket <laughs> uh, if you're going to look on this. So I guess it might be a standard thing that people have. I think it's looks probably in the bucket and it zooms in. Yeah, I think it's probably real. I don't know what you call it. A, a, a sea bucket. Zoom bucket. <laughs> yeah shark bucket a bad badly uh what would you call that that editing yeah like cut out scene stuck on the bucket but you know it's fine yeah and then we get a, a little bit of an odd one so basically bond needs to go down and take a look at the plane which you know he goes down finds the plane and it's like okay this is the one but in order to because of all the sharks in order to allow bond to go down bond's like shoot a shark and Felix like, no worries. And just <laughs> gets his gun out and just shoots a shark. And I'm pretty sure you just see it, right? Like you just see a shark get shot. Yeah. Yeah. If not now, you definitely do later on. You just, because I, I thought, hang on, that's that's very realistic. And then it's like, oh, actually, that probably was real. Yeah. But it's all very casual here. It's just like, bang, there's the shark dead. And then you just see this shark just like twitch with the thing and actually move. You don't see it get eaten or anything, but you see it move. Yeah, you see blood. Definitely. Yeah. And then that allows Bond to dive down. He finds the dead clone of the pilot and he takes his... I put pendant because I couldn't see what it is, but we eventually find out he takes his watch, I think. Or is that his Bond's watch. watch? No, it is his watch. He's watching his dog tags, I think. Yeah. Uh, takes those and then swims back to, to Felix. Yeah. I'd, I think... I'm not going to I'm not gonna complain about this because I think it's kind of similar to the book where it's just... they. You know, they're looking for the plane and then they find the plane. There's, there doesn't right. have to be a reason for why they find it. It just does seem sort of like <laughs> they're searching. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I don't know. So it's nice. funny about that. It's, oh, well done us. But yeah, I think it's just the same as like, they just they just find the plane. They just do what they, they did. It's Sometimes you expect a bit more, but actually that is just it. Yeah, so, it's just they needed time. Like they just needed to find something that was suspicious and they just spend a ton of time and they eventually find it. But of course, this all these cuts make it... You don't get a good sense they spent that long out there. But they probably did, really. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Felix was getting very tired. He probably just, That's probably why he liked shooting the, the shark. Yeah, he's probably shot like 20 of them before this yeah. point. So that's he's, why he doesn't care. He's a monster. Uh, so now we get onto the bit that I was... Yeah, I jumped way ahead because I jumped to Bond and Domino on the beach. Mm. Um, which is the scene afterwards. Because... With him collecting the dog tags and, and the, the watch and realizing, oh, right, okay, yeah, that's that's the guy. He goes to see Domino and tell her the news about her brother. And I guess in the process, get her on his side and, and get her to help in spying for him on the uh, Disco Volante. So this scene, quite an interesting scene to me. 
and it's it's a very little thing but yeah so so bond is there with domino and and shows her what he found and explains what's happened and says how she can help them with uh the geiger counter camera when she's back on the ship all meanwhile uh, they're they're being uh, spied on by one of the lago's henchmen one of the things that if you if you kind of want this to be it's kind of it's there but only if you kind of want it to be is and i don't know if you picked up on this or what your thoughts are on this but when bond is handing over the dog tags and the watch to to domino there's a shot kind of a close up shot of their hands passing passing it over you kind of see bond's hand sh- kind of tremble and shake as it comes back and then straight after that he puts on the sunglasses. And I did wonder, why is it just kind of random? Why is he putting on sunglasses right now? And there's definitely, I've seen discussions online about, it, you know, did he put on the sunglasses because he is getting emotional at this? Is there actually an attachment there to Domino? Does he care about her? Does he Is he finding this difficult to do? Um, I don't know. This is what I mean by it. It's one of those things where it probably, probably isn't there in reality but you could read it like that and i kind of like that idea of of bond being a little bit more um emotional i mean it's i say emotional it's a very tiny thing but otherwise the character is very kind of stoic when he comes to death which which is fine but sometimes it is nice to get little bits like this but i could be i don't know it's it's down to personal preference i think i i miss this entirely but I kind of agree that would make sense, especially because she gets so emotional, right? Like, so he's there. And also before this scene, you see them both underwater and they go behind some rocks and then a load of bubbles come up and it's implied that they made love underwater, I guess. Because Sean Con- <laughs> or James Bond's all like, I hope we didn't frighten the fish. Um, yeah. And that, that leads to this scene. <laughs> so by this point, they have now slept together. So they're kind of, you know, more in a, a relationship type thing. But the thing that's really nice about this is that what, there is a bit more of a connection there despite bond doing a lot of different things in this film you know they have had multiple scenes where they've talked and chat and, and kind of hung out and like i said they have a chemistry so it makes sense to me that bond might get a little bit emotional because there has been that kind of connection there somewhat mm. it's not the strongest connection we see in this franchise but I, I think they do a solid enough job of showing it so yeah i completely missed that with the sunglasses but i think it would work if you did want to interpret it that way yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it is the interpretation of it. And you're right. I think there's been some nice moments between him and Domino, particularly based around Largo being her guardian. And you get those lines about uh, Bond asking, do you fear me? I think that's maybe what he says at one point. And uh, her saying, no, you're you know, not the same sort of man as he is. And and so there is there is definitely more of an effort to make them just have have a relationship at all um so yeah i i quite like the scene if you read it like that and then it ends with a good little gag with the the, the henchman guy who was spying on them um gets the harpoon is it harpoon yeah or, it's one of those harpoon guns what gets one of those harpoon guns and you get another nice little bond bond pun of uh i think he got the point so good stuff yeah it's a basic one but I mean, yeah, it a has bit been on set the nose. Up, yeah, it's a bit on the <laughs> nose. It has been set up with because he does it super quick 
basically. But that has been foreshadowed by him doing the same thing with the clay pigeons on mm. the island. Yeah. He basically does the exact same move where he doesn't aim, he just spins his hand, fires, and shot, gets the shot perfect, and that kills him. Um, so in that moment, it's like, that's a bit weird. That's really quick, but we have seen that before. So it's a nice little small scene, very minor, but that moment uh, is quite cool. I liked it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this all ends with Domino agreeing to basically help Bond. I think she agrees at this point, right? Or at least it implied that she's very angry at Largo and wants to do something uh, to, to stop him. Um, yeah. And as part of that, she tells Bond that, hey, there's this canal with some steps nearby. Largo doesn't let anyone near it, so maybe you should go and check it out. And it cuts to Bond going by the steps, and he finds some scuba gear. He then swallows the tracker tablet that Q gave him before, and then this cuts to basically Largo and a load of the henchmen all getting into the scuba gear that Bond has found with Bond watching. He puts on some scuba gear uh, and then he basically joins them underwater and enters the boat from underneath. And so we've got a we've got this setup with Largo and everyone with Bond at the same time. And he's now gone undercover to try and find the missiles with them. Yeah, so the missile missiles were taken to well it turns out it's just a big fake rock or something like that it's a big it's a big rock that has doors on it and so the doors open uh and they collect the missiles from in there and this is the scene that i was referencing earlier where it just seems like it was made to use the tracker but thinking about it more there might be other reasons but basically uh they they get the they get the, the atomic missiles from the or atomic bombs from this this underwater rock thing and start to load it up onto the, uh, what would you call that? The big orange. I put sub, but it's not yeah. really a submarine, isn't it? It's just something that goes forward in the water. Yeah, I'll go call it a sub. They put it, they load them onto that, and uh, it's kind of now where there is Largo, isn't it? In there, yeah, it's Largo. You can see his <laughs> white hair. That's the thing. Like I always think, Largo looks really cool as a character. The eye patch and he looks really kind of calm and collected and, and imposing. And then you just see all his hair floating around, and it kind of it just doesn't look as cool. Um, looks like Boris Johnson, but oh no, yeah. Uh, Largo spots that it's Bond behind the mask, and so like you know, a tussle kind of breaks out. I say tussle, but underwater tussle, whatever that is very slow one and eventually bond just gets trapped in the in the rock place and this is the thing that i was a little bit kind of unsure of at first because i I just thought well why why does he need to be stuck only to use the tracker and and basically get uh felix's attention through the tracker and then using that was another gadget that we forgot earlier was the flare gun yeah Um, okay and using the flare gun i wondered what was the point of that but I guess if you want to think about it, it's so that the bad guys had time to get away. Really. Yeah, they just needed the missiles. So they just, yeah. So most of them went to go and get the missiles and one guy left behind. But yeah, I think you're right. They're, they're just trying to delay Bond because if they try to go against Bond, I guess potentially Bond might win that. But yeah, they just run. They were like, we got the missiles, let's go. Yeah, and then they, now they need something where it's it's logical that they are now really far in advanced. And they, you know, their plan is like going way ahead. Otherwise, Bond would just be right behind him again, and <laughs> it'd just be, be kind of weird. So yeah, Bond Bond ends up trapped. He ends up trapped and, and needing to use those gadgets. Uh, Felix comes and gets him using the tracker and and the flare gunner's attention. 
and hoists him up on that kind of air hoist thing. I don't know what they're called. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a helicopter that drops down a rope with a circle thing on it and Bond just gets hooked up onto that and gets pulled up all nice and lovely. Yeah, and I think it's at this point where Bond's overheard. I, don't, I can't remember how he, he knows about Miami being one of the, the the target destinations. I don't know either, but he did spend a decent amount of time on the boat dressed up as the guard, so I would assume it was sometime then. Yeah, so he tells Felix to to inform, you know, the Miami, uh, I don't know, Coast, Coast Guard. Guard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they get on kind of... <sighs> I sigh because now we're getting onto the scene that I really don't like. The big attack, the big attack of the big fight scene of, of Largo and the Spectre henchman versus, I guess, like the CIA and stuff. But, oh, I don't like this bit. Well, like there's another scene. set of scenes before that. Is there? I just jumped so, straight to the boring fight scenes. So while Bond is being rescued, we get a couple of scenes where basically Largo has made it back to the boat. So Domino has decided that she will... Uh, you know help track the boat so they now know where it is but largo spots her with the tracker and then ties her up and is asking what does bond know and then basically threatens her with hot and cold things Mm. basically as torture saying if you know the right place to apply something hot and something cold oh that's that's a bad time Uh, so she gets (laughs) tortured a, a little bit because basically Largo at this point thinks Bond is dead as well. He's like, I put him in a cave, taken care of. He ain't coming to save you. Little does he know. I think it's meant to be, I don't know, it, it, the whole ice thing, the ice and the, the cigar or cigarette, whatever he's got is the hot and cold. I guess it's kind of cool. I don't know. I think it, it kind of does lack a little bit of a, of a a punch to it for being torture, effectively. But... Yeah, I guess um, I guess it, it works. It works good enough. Yeah, I just like Largo being kind of a character you care about with Domino and Largo being back and just kind of being a villain, like just doing villain stuff. Like, it works. I, I like it. It's it's nice that she was trying to help up is now being tortured. Like, that sucks, and you kind of feel that a little bit more. So, you know, it's all just part of the whole Bond needs to stop the villain and save the girl. It, it's, it just kind of ticks that box uh, with mm. this scene. Yeah, definitely. So then this cuts to basically, yeah, we have a scene where Miami has been informed that there's going to be an attack through divers coming through with the missiles. So we get these planes going across and then everyone jumps out of the plane, all these guys in red gear, I believe. Um, And then we have these two sets of people with harpoon guns. The ones in black are the Spectre ones with the missiles trying to get to Miami. And the one in red are the the americans and then it's a it's a big old fight and i'm going to i'm going to go against you on this one joe oh uh, no i really like this scene what especially the first half i was like this is so cool <laughs> I, I i was really into it because i'm just a sucker for these type of scenes in bond films where it's two big well not armies but you know like two groups of people just kind of fighting each other and bond just getting in the middle of it and kind of doing its thing and an underwater version of it i know my most people might sigh including yourself but i was like yeah that's cool that's a that's a different variation of it i liked it and seeing all the harpoon guns get fired off and people getting skewered and things like that 
the random shots of like turtles is a little bit weird and octopuses but you know whatever it's fine um it, it kind of grounds it a bit but especially for the first half when it's the first meeting of them i was really into it i was like yes this is this is a bit of fun something a bit different and it's that cliche that i like of these two forces fighting each other in a bond film oh oh dear i don't i i what you say about two two sides in a big battle fighting each other i also like those scenes i think to the laser as silly as it is like the laser scene in moonraker and the end of the spy love me is actually quite similar as well there's loads of them and yeah they're great they're great when you just have chaos basically but i think because this is underwater you just lose so much with feedback in terms of a fight so it's why i liked the previous underwater bit where it was just bond spying and i do like bits of this where it is not necessarily harpoon gun and 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 cutting uh oxygen pipes because that seems to be most of it really but i like the bits where it's you know using the grenades in 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 the uh the wreck or um yeah anything that's not kind of direct combat because you don't really get any any sound you get sort of bubble general bubbling and and that sort of thing you don't get any kind of nice sound with it and just the nature of being underwater is it's just slow right it's just a slow thing they're gonna they'll be they'll be grappling with each other but it will be very kind of weightless and i don't know i i'm just not i'm just not a fan of these these scenes they just don't work for me it's meant to be chaotic but when they have these wide shots of it <laughs> to me it just looks stupid it looks so silly just all these characters slowly sort of fumbling in the, in the water there's no there's no drama for me but you love it tom i love that you love it I like you it. Your ice yeah. cream. Enjoy I, it. I was completely out of ice cream at this point as well, so that's the thing. Maybe I don't. I don't want to say it's a marmite situation. I don't think these are a marmite sort of thing where you either love them or hate them. But you know, if you're not into it, then you're really not going to be into it because mm. of how much there is in this film. Like, there's no like, oh, it's kind of cool because even if you think it's okay, you know, ten minutes of it, you're going to be like, I'm so like, okay, fine, <laughs> like nice okay there's an octopus harpoon cut the oxygen what like you are going it's it, there's a lot and you're not going to just think it's okay after a little bit but if you are into it like i would say i was there's a lot of it and it's i feel like it's a ton of fun like you say it's it's nice to see bond so bond comes in later and just jetpacks basically into the middle of it and then just starts helping everyone out and i like the visual language they use here where you got all the red guys and you got the guys in the black suits and then bond they deliberately look have him look different like they take away his his jetpack or his oxygen tanks and stuff so you know it's bond and i think that's nice like i think there was some small kind of smart decisions here and to me this was just kind of a ton of fun could it be shorter yeah absolutely but i can appreciate how unique and different this is compared to other bond films and a different take on this dynamic and the fact that it ties into the theming of the bahamas and stuff and this is the big payoff of it i i, I was just having fun watching it i don't know what i could say it, it was long. <laughs> it was long. Hmm. And the reason why I I remembered it was so long is because I'm another thing that didn't work for me in this scene 
is the music. I, I do comment on how I like the music and the music has been getting better and better. This is an exception to that. To me, this this music really didn't help. It didn't accentuate the good parts of what this could have had. If anything, it just kind of showed how repetitive it ended up being. It was, to me, very kind of plodding along this music. And I remember saying exactly the same thing when we heard it live at the Royal Albert Hall mm. uh, for the Bond concert. They played the song that, uh, or the, the score that is in this scene. And it goes on for about 30, is it like between 10 and 13, maybe not 13 minutes, but it's long, like eight minutes maybe. Um, it's long and it's, to me, it's very repetitive and it just didn't work with this scene. Uh, yeah, so I think it's interesting though because this is a remix of a song from from Russia with Love, where that song played during the the Gypsy Camp scene, I believe, and we got a different version of it. But the Gypsy Camp scene was very quick; it was a mm. very chaotic scene like this one. But it was a very short scene where it was just like it went from zero to ten, stayed at ten for like a minute or two with all this chaos, and then it ended. So to have the same type of music for that scene, for this one, I, I do agree. Although I personally, for me, I think the remix and the the changes they've made to the track, you know, made it fit a little bit better. But I definitely see what you mean. And I think this music was originally written for a shorter scene. Oh, yeah, that could make sense because you can kind of tell where it, it loops again and, and restarts. Um, I think the one the one thing I will say as a, as a benefit is that overall in this film... I thought there were more underwater scenes and actually there's really kind of, well, there's not that, there's a few very short ones, but in terms of actual kind of extended sequences, there's probably only about two, really. This and this one and, and the Bond spying one. So there was less of this than I thought. It was just all in one big chunk that I didn't like. Yeah, I'm reading here that apparently a quarter of the film is underwater scenes. Wow. So two hours, ten why is that like 33 minutes, 32 and a half minutes of film? Hmm. Yeah, that I mean, yeah, there was a lot of the whole the whole setting up at the beginning with, you know, the net that was very long. This is very long. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I I I I wish I could be like you Tom and really like this, but I just can't. No, fair enough. Again, like I say, like you you have to be into it and if you're not it's going to push you towards hating it. Especially if you like sharks, because this yeah. is another scene where sharks show up, which at first I was like, that's pretty cool to, you know, we've seen sharks a lot and to add this element that there might be a shark attack during this this big battle. But then you just see like a, a shark just get harpooned and die, basically. And it's just another scene of like, oh, an animal just died. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I did put... Sharks being shot, sad face. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not nice. It's just not nice to see. No. But eventually, after a big brouhaha underwater, thanks to Bond, mostly, the red team beats the, the black team, which is excellent, and they surround him. But Largo and a couple of other people get away with, I think, one of the missiles, right? Yeah, yeah, just one. Get away with one of them. So Bond follows them. Now, I'm trying to remember exactly how this goes. I think they do fight underwater. I want to say Bond shoots one of the the henchmen with a thing, and then Largo and Bond have a bit of a fight. Yeah, yeah. Bond doesn't shoot Largo, weirdly. Maybe he just didn't see which one's which. And then I think there's a bit more kind of knife action 
or attempted knife action. Yeah, they have a, a little bit of a wrestle. It doesn't go anywhere. Eventually, Largo escapes onto his boat with the missile, but Bond is right behind them, so he hangs onto the boat. But I don't, I don't quite get where he hangs on to. <laughs> Imagine if he hung onto the wrong part and then just got minced. Yeah, he actually gets hit by the propeller this time. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, I told him we got him. <laughs> Didn't believe me. Uh, but outside of this, so basically Bond is now attached to the boat, trying to get on eventually, while Largo is trying to get away. But the US Army didn't just send some divers, they also sent some ships. So while Bond is trying to get to Largo and Largo is trying to get away, Largo is actually being chased by some US Army ships. And quite a lot of them. This gets quite intense as well with the amount of bullets and explosions that kind of go off. Oh, yeah. Like, there's multiple US Army ships there, and they just go to town on this thing. And then on the boat, you have the guys with the turrets, like, shooting back. It's like a proper shootout. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Well, you would hope that with a risk of a nuclear weapon going off, they would throw a lot at it. So, fair play. They actually did. Well, you don't want to set off. Well, fair. you say that, but then later on it just explodes. So, I don't know yeah. what's going on with the physics here. Yeah, maybe. So, yes, so they then split the boat. So, first of all, they use smoke to hide the boat. And I guess that's just to try to explain why hasn't you, the US Army just destroyed this boat. You know, they've got to give it some gadgets to kind of be able to get away. So they use smoke to hide it and then detach the back half of the boat. So the front half with Largo and the missile is now just a speedboat. Uh, and it's just trying to basically get away from them while bond is slowly climbing onto it hell yeah i love that bit i think it's just cool <laughs> it's just a cool look like it's actually it's really done like it's actually separated as a real ship that just broke apart and then sped off i really like that yeah, yeah it's this cool little effect so now we have a, a very brief scene where throughout the film there's been this scientist man with who's just been around with largo who hasn't really done much, but I think he's meant to be the bomb expert or something like that, because mm. he frees Domino and then says, I've thrown the arm keys overboard or something. So it's yeah. like, this guy just gets a conscience and just saves the day. But it's like, who are you, though? Well, you know why? Why? I mean, Volpe said it. Bond slept with him. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a, a minute. Yeah, yeah, if one sleeps with someone, then they suddenly become good again. So that must have happened here. That's the that only makes sense. conclusion I can make. <laughs> he did it for king and country. For king and country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird. I'm assuming in the book maybe it's explained a bit more. But yeah, this guy is around a lot. You just don't see him. And then just at the end, he just kind of is the one that frees her and gets rid of the arming. So you know everything's okay at that point. Yeah, it, that bit is very quickly. Oh, oh, uh, it, this has gone too far. It's like, well, surely you always knew that it's probably going to explode. But uh, good for him, though, because I think without him, it would not have ended very well. Yeah. So now we get a little bit of superhero Bond again, because Bond gets into the boat, enters the, I'm going to say cockpit, but I'm assuming it's a boat, so it probably has a better name for it. Do you have bridges on boats that small? Is it still a bridge? I don't know. I don't think it is. I guess we'll say the bridge for time. But Let's uh, just say it, yeah. He'll get onto the bridge, and then there's Largo and at least two other henchmen, and he just Bong just goes mental on them. Uh, <laughs> something that happens mental. in this film is that people like to throw each other around a lot, and they like to throw things. 
as we saw in the the start of the film. And this is a lot of that. Just him just like, ah, I'm going to get you. Um, and Largo <laughs> then just like, he chokes out Largo for a little bit. Yeah. Which is kind of funny, but still like fighting the other people while choking them out. All, uh, all whilst the, the boat is going very, very quickly. And, yeah, he know, like shoves the, the accelerator so it's going super quick. And then just starts choking Largo, throws a chair. It just goes a bit <laughs> mental. Yeah, this scene is very similar to that first fight scene in the pre-tile sequence. It's it's very weirdly cut. Um, no flow to it at all. I think, and and combined with the fact of what you're saying, where Bond somehow defeats all these guys kind of at the same time, it is superhero Bond, but also just kind of really badly done. Alongside, I think the one thing that sticks out a lot is the whole fast-forwarded footage to to... to try and convey speed it's just absurdly fast it's too fast it doesn't doesn't match what's going on in the rest of the scene yeah i i at least like it because of this a little bit of build up here unlike the very first scene at the start where it's just like a random scene this is at least like okay sure let's have a chaotic mental scene like i don't know what the secret formula is for these bond scenes where some of these i like and some of them i don't like i cannot tell you exactly why but I did quite like this one as just like a bit of a mental ending where everything's like fast and crazy and stuff. And uh, I don't know, I had fun. It definitely was mental. I think that's the right word to use for that. It's just all over the place, all over the place. So yeah, basically Bond takes out the henchman and is left with just uh, just him and Largo. And through another bit of tussling, it ends up with Bond on the floor and, and Largo with a gun uh, about to shoot Bond. And then we get a big dramatic villain death, except not really, but he gets shot in the back by none other than Domino. I nearly forgot her name then, uh, with a with a harpoon gun. You know, those harpoon guns, they got some good use out of them in this film. Yeah, it must have been cheap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, gets shot, and I think that's when he stumbles, stumbles forward onto the controls again, doesn't he? Yeah. And then Domino says, I'm glad I killed him. And it's just really nice to see this all come together. We, we've seen this with Bond girls and characters and the, the character developments and stuff. But this is the first one where it actually took all the elements and put it together. Is it like groundbreaking? No, but it's really nice that we knew what Domino was about. There was some sort of relationship there. We, you know, we got a, a scene with her crying and being very upset about her brother and being tortured. So... It was a really nice payoff to have her come and shoot him in the back like that. It it felt it was it was a great moment, and yeah. it's nice to finally see the Bond franchise kind of put that all together because we've seen the signs. It just hasn't quite worked out. But for me, in this one, they finally figured it out. Yeah, it, she Domino finally someone has a good arc. It's it, as you say, it's not a groundbreaking arc. It's not particularly detailed or in depth, but it doesn't need to be. You know, she was. His mistress, he killed her, her brother. She got revenge and killed him and actually did it herself. So, you know, I think by this point in the series, that's as good as it's going to get. So I'm glad that we did get it. Yeah. And overall, I would say she's my favorite Bond girl so far. Oh, And yeah. it's not even close. No, really. Nowhere near. Nowhere near close. So now that the boat is going mental and they need to get off it because it's heading towards the rocks, they jump. I think the scientist or the bomb guy is like, I can't swim. <laughs> then Bond's just like, never too, not too late to learn. <laughs> just kind of jumps and pushes him up. 
Yeah, I actually thought that was the last line of the film. There, there is one more line where, where Bond says sort of like, get down or something just very simple like that. But there's actually no more dialogue, weirdly, in the rest of the film. So <laughs> we were very close to that being the last line of the film. And I don't know what happens to him because eventually, well, you know, to skip ahead a little bit, we are right at the end. But basically a plane comes down, a US plane drops off a this red blimp type of thing and a, a raft, which is where a, a Bond and Domino get onto. Where does the, the bomb guy go? He's, well, I mean, he can't swim, so... The I shark's got him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, he's somewhere in there. I, yeah, he's fine, I'm sure. Okay, all right, that's fine. And then, basically, they're on this little raft and this little blimp. Bond shoots up into the sky. The plane comes back again and, like, catches them and pulls them out of the raft and then they're just dragged along by the plane and then the bond theme plays and that's your lot yeah no no little end quip or or little gag or anything that's that's it i I was really i I was like oh did i miss something is that really the end i had to go back and rewind and just check that there was no little one final line by bond but no it's all all in silence this last bit in terms of dialogue yeah, and that, that sequence of them being picked up I thought was very strange, but then I looked it up and it is a real system. I don't know why they had to do it. I guess they were just showing off at this point. Or it does seem like it's a system the CIA, CIA developed. So yeah. the fact that they're in Miami working with CIA, probably a nice reference to them. But it's a bit weird to not have Bond just make out with the Bond girl and end it. This is a little yeah. bit different. It just needed one line just to, just to wrap it up nicely. It's kind of a, another strange ending, but yeah, yeah, that was it. That was Thunderball. And I don't think this one had a James Bond will return. No, right? I checked. I double checked that, but apparently they weren't too sure what it was going to be, which we might talk about next time. But yeah, mm, that didn't. Yeah. they didn't list it at all. This is almost framed in a certain way. It's like the last big, not the last Bond film, but it's almost framed that way, really. Like it's... It's a peak. It's the end of this kind of stretch of Bond. Yeah. And I think that definitely is... There's something to be said about that is the case specifically for Sean Connery anyway. I think um, this... You could argue it's either this one or, or Goldfinger is really where he has... He's done, like he's peaked. Because I think after this film, he sort of started to get a bit sick of it. Yeah. Uh, and you can definitely tell, which we'll talk about in the next podcast, but... Yeah, this might actually kind of be kind of that. That's it for for Sean Connery. Uh, if you were to sort of wrap up these first four films on their own, yeah, absolutely. So now that the film is done, I'm going to throw it over to you because I did it last time. Where are you thinking Fundable goes for you in the rankings? Okay, so at the moment, just as a little reminder, when we get into later podcasts, I don't know how we're going to do this because we're not going to start listing out 25 films, but. Yeah. Yeah, uh, From Russia of Love is top, Doctor No and then Goldfinger at the moment. And I have put this, from being my second worst Bond film, it is now number two. Okay. It is my, it is my second favourite Bond film out of the first four. Uh, mainly because I was very... I couldn't work out whether to put it above or below Doctor No. But I decided to put it above in the end. Because this is the film I imagined Doctor No would have been if it wasn't the first film, if Dr. No had more money and was filmed later on, it would be like this. 
because it we've said about how there's lots of similarities in being uh in one particular location and and, and quite a I was going to say simple plot. There's definitely some very complex things in the plot, but overall it's quite a simple plot. Um, I think with that in mind, this film to me is just a little bit more fun. A little bit more fun. It has a little bit more of those those classic Bond elements to it. We've got the Q stuff. Um, we've got the the gadgets, but not not crazy gadgets. We, we still do have some good stunts and, and some good shots and everything. So... It's um, it's slightly better than Doctor No for me, but not by much. Surprisingly, I wouldn't say by much. Didn't have as many bad underwater scenes as I thought it did, and I actually thought Largo was better than I remembered. I remembered him being a little bit hollow, but I actually quite liked him on this viewing. I thought he was quite a kind of uh, calm and collected and but imposing villain still, and um, yeah. Great, good locations. I think uh, number two, solid at the moment. Very good. So I, I generally agree with what you're saying. Um, I, yeah, I think the thing for me, I was surprised at how solid and enjoyable this was. I think this, the word solid is the word I would use to describe this. It's Yes, it's a little bit long in the tooth and there's definitely some editing they should have done here to make it a bit more tighter and things like that. And it would have really helped the film. But overall, it was just solid across the board. It's just... Sean Connery does a good job. It's the best Bond girl we've seen. Like you, I would say I enjoyed Largo. I don't I don't get why he's so criticized when to me I don't think this is a villain film. You know, this is fundable. This isn't this film's not called Mr. Largo in the same way that we had <laughs> Doctor No and Goldfinger. I see this as a Spectre film where Largo is just the you know, the guy that he's going up against. So I don't think it's fair to say he's that bad of a villain when I don't think it's really what it's about. So I don't judge it too harshly. And even then, like you say, he's still pretty solid. Um, and just across the board, it's just like fun. I think the underwater scenes are great. I, I love the theming and I love the location and how they use that location. I think it's really strong. And the sharks I was surprisingly into and invested. I liked the ending fight. So there's that. I thought that was great. And I think I've already said it, but it's worth saying again, the best Bond girl by far and mm-hmm. the most little arc that has gone through. And it it was just really enjoyable from, from start to finish, really. Again, could be cut down a little bit for sure. But even then, I, I still very much enjoyed it. So this one was very difficult for me to rank because... I feel like each of these films have been very different in terms of how I see them. Doctor No is the rough but charming start. From Russia With Love is the more fleshed out version that doesn't have all those elements but just has so many great elements in its own right that it's kind of getting there but it kind of works really well. Goldfinger is the mess where it has a ton of highs but too many lows for me to say it's really amazing. And then this one overall is just solid. And I think you comparing it to Dr. No is very apt, really. It's kind of like if you took the complicated nature of From Russia With Love and kind of applied the Dr. No template to it, you would kind of get this film and make it a bigger budget. Mm, So I was trying to figure this out last night where I was kind of like, okay, maybe I should just compare them one on one. And I got a little bit stuck because I was kind of like, do I like Fundable more than Dr. No? I would probably, well, From Russia With Love is number one for me um there's no competition like i don't think i've i enjoyed find a ball but from russia with love still number one it's not taking that spot so it's like okay where should i put it so it's like i could see it if i if i compared it to goldfinger in a lot of ways i still prefer goldfinger 
but then I prefer Dr. No to Goldfinger, but then I prefer Thunderball to Dr. No. So <laughs> It's like a Mexican standoff. Yeah, it was like a rock, paper, scissors with Bond films. So for me, I either had to put it at number two or number four, because number three wouldn't make sense to me. If I'm going to say it's better than Goldfinger, then I also need to say it's better than Dr. No. But do I think it's better than Goldfinger? And eventually I've settled on saying yes. So I'm also putting it at number two, which I just enjoyed it a lot more. I think the interesting thing about this film is that when you watch it, you enjoy it. But what brings it down is that there's just no iconic moments. It just doesn't have... Dr. No has the beach scene, Honey Rider coming out, From Russia With Love has the train and all that sort of stuff. And Goldfinger has, well, the laser scene and Fort Knox and stuff. Thunderball doesn't really have that, which makes it so forgettable. But the actual film itself is really good and really solid, and I enjoy it. So I have to rank it high, considering the format of what we're doing, but I do think it is not as memorable. And the reason why people forget it and it kind of gets pushed aside is because it's lacking those moments. And if it just had a couple of those, it probably would be much higher regarded. But even say, even so, watching it now, I enjoyed it. I'm pulling it at number two. Okay, so we've got exactly the same at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pointless. I mean, really, isn't that, it? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, ignore these first four. Um, no, I think for me, as you said, I just compared to Goldfinger, I came out of, of watching Goldfinger just kind of a bit annoyed. This one, it was long, but I enjoyed it, and that's just how I kind of cemented that this was definitely, you know, better than those. Um, the thing, uh, what was I going to say? Hang on. Um, Oh, that's it. The thing that I think Thunderball has at the moment, though, the risk of it, is it's going to move down quickly. It's probably going to move down very quickly when we get more Bond films on this list. As mm. you say, in this in this little chunk of four films, it's at number two. But because it doesn't really have those memorable moments, which I agree with, I think other ones are going to surpass it quite soon. Yeah, we're going to have to see, because the way I currently see it for me is that I think a lot of these films, are these four are going to hold quite high for me because mm. I do enjoy them all. So I see potentially, and I, I don't know, for Russia with Love, it's probably going to be top five. But for me, I could see Thunderball being top 10. And then I would see Dr. No and Goldfinger would probably still be a top 15 at the very least, maybe like 11 and 12, something like that. So for me, they're these four films I think are going to be in my top half or more likely to all end up in my top half than my bottom half. But from the way you've described them, I think a lot of these are going to actually maybe end up in your bottom half of the list. Um, I don't know, actually. I, I actually think these might stay high-ish. I think similar to you, but I just know that there's going to be ones that I'm going to like more than Thunderball. That's, that's not staying near the top for very long. No, I don't see it being top five at all. Yeah. But there we go. That was Thunderball. We did it. The longest Bond film so far. And it was a pleasant surprise overall. It was long, but it, it was it was enjoyable. So yeah, surprising, surprising. Definitely not my second worst Bond film anymore. Well, that's good news. Yeah, you've got two other films you know which are worse than it, right? So it's already been promoted. Yeah, oh yeah. Cool. So any last thoughts before we go? Do I have any last thoughts? Um, did I write down anything that I didn't mention? No. No, I don't think I do, actually. I'm... Uh, I'm glad that it's kind of out of the way, which sounds bad, but 
I'm I'm now looking forward to the films that I thought I liked ahead of ahead of doing this podcast. I guess so. For me, we are. I think it's downhill for a good while. So I'm going to have to get that ice cream booked. I, if there's a subscription service for ice cream, I'm going to have to sign up to it because <laughs> this is this next like ten weeks. I think are going to be really rough for me. You're going to come out of this podcast with a few more pounds, maybe. Mm. <laughs> You need to for, go to the health clinic that Bond did. <laughs> for king and country, that's what it's for. <laughs> Just don't go on that spine stretcher. No. So you have been listening to episode four of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week for You Only Live Twice. <laughs>